It's a great pleasure to introduce uh, Jean-Michel Opper, um, who's Professor of Nutrition at uh, uh, University Pierre-Emerick Curie um, in Paris. And uh, uh, he is a uh, former uh, uh, president of the European uh, Association for the Study of Obesity. He is deeply, passionately involved in all matters physical activity in France and across Europe. Um, a great specialist in, in uh, thinking about physical activity and, and the environment. And uh, uh, Jean-Michel, floor is yours. Thank you very much. So thank you very much, uh, Stanley, for, for this uh, very kind of invitation to come here. So uh, it's a great pleasure. It's, uh, actually, I have to confess it's my first time ever in Oxford. <laughs> so it's a great pleasure and uh, really an honor to be, to be here. So um, uh, to talk about uh, obesity and, and physical activity. So in this setting, where there is so much <coughs> going on uh, around obesity from, from different perspectives, so I'm, I'm really really interested to know more about uh, what, what is going in, in here. So um, I, uh, I'm a medical person by uh, training, not by design, but by training. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I started with uh, endocrinology and diabetes, and then uh, nutrition and uh, obesity. So I've been involved in obesity uh, for the last uh, 20 years or so. And then uh, I, was the, I had this uh, strong interest in physical activity and health for the last uh, 15 years, I would say. And uh, in the last five years, we have really got uh, interested into environment and uh, geography. So we have uh, opened, I would say, a, a, new, uh, a new window. So, uh, but now I'm back a bit more uh, with the clinical aspects. Uh, since uh, I am the, the head of that uh, department of nutrition at our university hospital and this department is really focused on the management of severely obese uh, patients. And uh, the, the research is uh, done in different settings and uh, some of the research is done in this uh, center for nutrition and research. So our uh, hospital is uh, <coughs> So it's not really new, so uh, <laughs> it was built, uh, I mean the, the buildings were built uh, some 400 years ago, I think. So it's, it was a St. Peter factory actually, so La Saint-Pétrière, and uh, it's been a hospital for about 300 years. Uh, it's mostly known for neurology actually, so this is Charcot's lessons on uh, hysteria. But we are very lucky because in a few days actually, and this is why I have to go back <laughs> this afternoon, we will have a new building for endocrinology, uh, metabolic disease uh, and uh, medicine. So where we will have uh, the facilities uh, for the patients and also for, for the research. So we're very proud of that and uh, very glad also that we will have this new uh, institute. So. When we talk about uh, obesity, we can really uh, take the different perspectives of the individual and the environment, and this is the, the, the leading uh, thread in my, in my talk. So when we, uh, when we take care of the obese uh, person, we really talk about uh, chronic condition, chronic condition, with all these uh, phases of uh, gaining weight, then losing weight, then regaining weight, and this is a, a chronic uh, story and a long uh, journey. I think at population level too, it can be uh, uh, quite a journey. Uh, and uh, here, for example, these are data that come from uh, northern France, and uh, these are prevalences of uh, overweight in uh, boys and, and girls over the years. And here there was a uh, so there is a gap in data collection, but uh, here there was uh, some increase in the prevalence and then some decrease supposedly uh, due to uh, interventions that took place in these two uh, small towns in uh, northern France. But just to show that uh, uh, 
our perspective is to look at the individual and also at the population. So now, of course, uh, this is the uh, famous figure. We were just discussing that with uh, Stanley. So uh, uh, what, what I really was interested uh, in looking, I was really interested looking at the figure in some detail about the clusters that uh, in addition to societal influences, psychological influences, all the food production and consumption, there were two clusters about physical activity. So uh, this was really uh, interesting uh, for us. And this is uh, again in the same line of uh, thinking about the individual and uh, the environment. So this is our working, working model uh, for uh, the ongoing studies. So it's relatively simple. We start with our uh, chronic diseases of interest, so obesity and associated uh, diseases. Then we uh, are really interested in better measuring the influencing uh, behaviors and uh, especially physical activity. And, and try to understand, at least in the recent years, uh, the influences of the built environment on these behaviors that uh, then uh, lead to uh, the chronic uh, diseases. So this is our uh, working uh, model. And uh, for the first part, I would like to focus on the individual aspects. And uh, so better, measure, uh, better measurements of uh, physical activity and uh, how it can be influenced by some individual characteristics, such as uh, weight status. So when we, when we think about uh, physical activity in this uh, context, we really try to think broadly about movement behavior. Not only physical activity and exercise, but really movement behavior. And this goes from uh, uh, the whole spectrum, from uh, sitting to uh, high intensity uh, physical activity. And uh, as you know, uh, there has been much interest in the recent years about uh, this left uh, side of uh, the figure and uh, sedentary behavior, that is all the occupations that would not expend much uh, energy about, above uh, resting level. And we are really interested in better measuring the context in which uh, physical activity and sedentary behavior will take place. And this, I think, is relevant both for public health epidemiology and for the clinic because the context will really uh, dictate the interventions. So uh, physical activity and sedentary behavior during leisure time, at work, at home, and of course uh, the recent uh, interest in transport uh, physical activity, but also transport uh, sitting uh, behavior. So uh, the few ideas I, I want to illustrate is that in addition to physical activity, uh, sedentary behavior is indeed a, a prevalent behavior, an important risk factor for health, that there are perhaps different domains of sedentary behavior that are differentially related to uh, obesity or weight status, and that can lead to some types of uh, interventions. And I, I want to say also a, a few words about uh, uh, the management of uh, obesity, so this is more about physical activity than sedentary behavior, and uh, also mention uh, bariatric surgery because I think it's uh, a topic of uh, great importance, uh, especially uh, nowadays. So this is uh, this was published recently, and uh, I like this very much because this really demonstrates what we say about. Uh, sedentary occupations. When we say sedentary occupations are occupations that do not expend a lot of energy above resting levels. So this is really shown here. So these are uh, uh, conditions and subjects were measured in the uh, room uh, calorimet calorimeter for 24 hours. And here you can see the consumption of uh, oxygen. And here you have the net value that is uh, the multiple of resting uh, met metabolic rate for different types of uh, sedentary occupations. And indeed, it's not far from one. So it's really not far from resting level. 
And uh, I, I was really interested to see that reclining, especially before a meal, is, is only 80% of the resting level. So I think this is really important. It's also important for the papers because we never really know what type of coefficient we should give to these occupations. So now we know better that really these occupations are not far from resting levels. Based on its volume rate measured, such that prefrandial reclining can be even lower because because it's, rate is because uh, because one met by definition is 3.5 oh, okay. milliliter so uh, O2 okay. per kilo per minute. So then it's just a, a ratio. It's me I mean, so here is is a, so the, this is why it's less. Than okay. I was thinking it was multiples of BMR, so it's my mistake. No, it's multiples yeah. of 3.5, yeah. so that, that's why. Yeah. And so these, these are the trends. So uh, this is really an interesting review uh, published by uh, Barry Popkin uh, last year, uh, using time-use uh, surveys, uh, data, uh, especially from the States. So perhaps you know this, uh, this uh, study. But I think it's really common language and common sense to say that physical activity is declining and sedentary behavior is increasing. But these are the real data showing this. And uh, so I think it's really valuable. So you can see here for the US, between the period 1965 to 2010, the, 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 the changes in different types of physical activities. So this is leisure, this is uh, transport, and this is home physical activity. And so at least during the last 10 years, there is a decline. And here you can see a sedentary behavior that is uh, increasing in parallel. And so the, here are the projections for the, the next uh, 20 years. And so here, here is the energy gap between uh, sedentary behavior and uh, active uh, occupations. So I think this is really, uh, really interesting. And indeed, uh, we spend a lot of time uh, in our days uh, being sedentary. So here are data from uh, Australia using uh, objective measures of uh, movement uh, by accelerometry. And so here in a typical day, you see that uh, about uh, 35 to 40% is spent in light intensity physical activity, 60% in sedentary occupations, that is nine hours per day, and only 5% in moderate to vigorous uh, physical activity in adults uh, in, uh, in the general population uh, in Australia. So this is really a lot of our time. This is really not much of our time. Uh, and of course, uh, 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 during life, uh, this can change. So these are uh, some data uh, that we published a uh, few years ago about the changes in physical activity and sedentary behavior with retirement, which I think is increasingly important. Uh, with the aging of uh, the population. So in this study, we had uh, about uh, 700 subjects who were followed up for three years, and some of them during follow-up were retired, and the, uh, others uh, were still working. And so here you can see the changes in leisure time physical activity, leisure walking, and uh, TV watching as an indicator of uh, sedentary behavior. Is this in France? This is in France. It yes. might be quite culture specific because, I don't know, in the UK, retired people start walking. So they do, they do. Yeah. They walk, they, they spend uh, two hours more per week yeah. in uh, physical activity during leisure compared to those uh, who are still working. Okay. They, but they Maybe also I know spend. Very active retirees, but yes, uh, it's a special cohort, so it might yeah. not be a representative uh, sample. Yeah. But and it was these data are from 1998, so perhaps it's different now. So now we have a six-year follow-up, and it's uh, but it shows the same trends. So there is an increase in leisure time physical activity. There is more time 
to do physical activity, there is also an increase in sedentary behavior. However, if you try to compute the loss in physical activity during uh, work and the increase in physical activity during leisure, it does not match. So there is still a decline in physical activity. There was, however, no, no association with weight. So now there is really good evidence that uh, sedentary time is, uh, is, uh, <coughs> has uh, negative effects uh, on health. So this was uh, a meta-analysis that was published uh, last year. And you can see that uh, the, the risk ratios are, are not negligible. I mean, coming from the obesity field, this is a lot. Because obesity itself, it's, as you know, it's 1.50, 1.20 uh, at the best. So here there is a 50% increase, here a 100% increase two times uh, more uh, cardiovascular morbidity comparing those who are more sedentary to those who are less uh, sedentary. So I think this is now well documented and this is independent of uh, habitual physical activity. And so we have been interested in trying to, to know better the relationships between sedentary behavior and physical activity. So I think there is some part of uh, sedentary behavior that is associated with physical activity, but there is also a part that is independent of physical activity. So here in our nutritional cohort, and these are uh, data that we published uh, 10 years ago, we had the opportunity to look at the uh, relationships between different types of physical activity. So these are <coughs> increasing categories of physical activity with a questionnaire. In, in women, the same was seen in, in men, with a questionnaire according to the time spent in front of the television as indicator of sedentary behavior. And here, interestingly, you can see that the distribution of the categories of physical activity are the same, whatever the time in front of the television, meaning that there is some independence between the two behaviors, which I think has implications both for, for interventions, both uh, at population level and uh, for patients. Next, we have been interested to try to define the relationships between different types of sedentary behavior with uh, health outcomes. So this is on a cross-sectional basis, looking at uh, the relationship between leisure time physical activity, screen viewing, and reading with uh, increased waist uh, circumference as an indicator of uh, abdominal obesity. So here you have the percentage of subjects with increased weight circumference according to uh, increasing physical activity, so there is a negative relationship. According to the time spent in front of a screen, there is a positive relationship. But here you can see that for reading, there is no relationship. And, and so this was adjusted for socioeconomic status, or at least educational level, and also physical activity. So I think it's important also for assessment and perhaps for interventions. And uh, the most recent uh, work by my colleague here, Hélène Charer, was to try to identify patterns of physical activity and their associations with uh, sedentary behavior. So in this uh, cohort, of uh, men and women, so here it's uh, only the women, so there are more than 2,000 women answering to a questionnaire. On a cross-sectional basis, uh, my colleague was able to uh, define three clusters of activities. So one cluster of women uh, uh, included those who performed only two activities, walking and gardening. And there were also those women who uh, watch television a lot. So this is the, these are the two most frequent activities, walking and gardening, and uh, this is the most frequent uh, sedentary behavior. And then there is another cluster of women who are doing a lot of activities, but below the median of the population, and they do not uh, watch television a lot. And there is a third cluster of women who do also several activities, but mostly endurance activities, who do not watch television a lot. And when we looked at body weight or BMI, only this group had a lower BMI or body weight compared to the other groups. So I think this is interesting to, to try to define the patterns of uh, different types uh, of activities. And it has relevance, I think, for assessment. 
And then looking in adults, at least, at the relationships with dietary uh, intakes, still in this uh, same cohort, we were able to, to show associations between, uh, in men and women between TV time and uh, different types of uh, dietary patterns through uh, cluster analysis. So here in women, uh, there was a, an association with TV time and uh, a, a dietary pattern characterized by eating alcohol, uh, eating meat and drinking alcohol. And here in men, it was convenience food, uh, ready to eat or easy to eat uh, foods. So there are associations. It's, be it's better known, I think, in uh, younger uh, subjects than in adults, but uh, we can find it also in adults. And of course, now we can uh, record uh, movement and physical activity more easily, uh, objectively, with uh, accelerometers. And you know that uh, we can obtain patterns of uh, movement or physical activity with uh, accelerometers. And this is uh, data coming from the Enhanced uh, study. I think it's really interesting and, and important. So I'll show that uh, uh, quickly. So uh, this is cross-sectional in NHANES, and uh, 1,700 adults were measured for physical activity and sedentary behavior with the accelerometer. And here you have the quartiles of uh, sedentary time. And you can see here the hours per day spent sedentary and spent in light physical activity or in structured exercise. And you can see that the increase in sedentary time across quartiles is really at the expense of light physical activity. And so this, I think, is important because it means that there, are, there might be opportunities in light physical activity time if we want to decrease uh, sedentary time. And so, uh, a more recent uh, topic is uh, the one about the brakes. So I don't know if you heard about the brakes, but <laughs> the brakes, meaning the brakes in sedentary time. And here in this uh, Australian uh, study, it was shown on a cross-sectional basis that the number of brakes during sedentary time, so meaning an interruption in sedentary time, assessed by accelerometry, was favorably associated with uh, body weight, body mass index, uh, blood glucose, and triglycerides. So this means that uh, the number of breaks uh, might be important to have a better uh, health uh, profile. Control of the amount of sedentary time. Yes, I think it's adjusted for <coughs> sedentary time and physical activity. So is there something to be done? So we were talking about primary uh, prevention. <laughs> So this is the study that has been uh, performed uh, in France by my colleague Chantal Simon. So I like this study because it's an intervention study only focused on physical activity and sedentary behavior. So the, the study is called ICAPS, so it means the intervention centered on physical activity and sedentary behavior. It was performed in 12 years old. Uh, it was a randomized study. So eight high schools were included, four controls and four intervention uh, high schools. And uh, here you can see that after four years, there were, so initially there were 900 subjects and 734 were measured after four years. So the intervention was to provide physical activity opportunities at school, but not during the uh, school curriculum. So in the school setting, on a voluntary basis. And so it was shown in the study that physical activity increased, sedentary behavior decreased, and after four years, here you can see the prevalence of overweight, and there was a, a strong difference in uh, the two groups, intervention and controls. So there was a twofold difference in the prevalence of overweight after four years in the two groups. And this is an interesting intervention because it was not focused on body weight. There was no advice on dietary intakes. It was only focused on physical activity and sedentary behavior. But this was only in those who were not overweight at the beginning. So it was different in those who were already overweight. So this is an interesting study. So my friends who are doing 
systematic reviews and meta-analysis will tell me that uh, we need more evidence of this type. But in France, this has been taken as a model. And uh, the Institute for Prevention and Health Education has taken this, has made a manual about, uh, from this study and is disseminating the, the, the model of this study as something really uh, important all across uh, the country. So, just a few words about uh, physical activity in the obese patient. Just to remind you that physical activity has many benefits for those who are already obese, but these benefits are really of different magnitude. And this is uh, something that we need always to remember. So for weight loss and for many reasons, uh, the effect of physical activity is usually modest. For uh, the maintenance of body composition during weight loss, the uh, effect is important. For weight maintenance and prevention of weight regain, the effect is considered as, as major. And of course, for uh, prevention of comorbidities, of, of uh, obesity, the effect is, is very important, I think. So, uh, this is a very brief summary of uh, a lot of uh, data, but I think this points to the fact that we need to know what the objective is for uh, prescribing or counseling a physical activity. This is just to uh, remind you that one of the most important, I think, uh, results over the last uh, decade for lifestyle interventions is uh, this one. So studies that have demonstrated that lifestyle interventions in at-risk subjects can prevent or delay type 2 diabetes. And uh, these subjects were not uh, really severely obese, but mostly overweight uh, subjects with high blood glucose uh, in the fasting state. And in the intervention, which included physical activity, but not only in, uh, physical activity, really uh, allowed uh, this striking 60% in the reduction of uh, uh, the uh, occurrence of type 2 diabetes, which I think is really a very, very important uh, result. And, and finally, if we look uh, over time, it might be more important to preserve uh, our physical condition and physical fitness than to stay focused on weight changes. So, uh, might be, I say. So, this uh, comes from the uh, aerobic uh, Cooper longitudinal study by Steve Blair in the, in the States. So, you can see here 14,000 men were uh, followed up for 11 years. And here you can see the risk of cardiovascular mortality according to changes in fitness or changes in weight status. And so the reference category here is uh, those who were not fit and remained not fit. So compared to this group, those who had a good physical condition but became unfit had a two times higher risk of cardiovascular mortality. Those who were not fit but became fit had a decrease in their risk, which was about the same risk as those who remained fit. And so this, uh, I think, is important as a message to convey to health professionals and also to patients. And of course, the more controversial part of the study is the fact that uh, weight changes were not associated with uh, increased risk of, uh, of cardiovascular mortality. And just uh, one word about uh, bariatric surgery, because uh, there, is, there might be an epidemic of obesity, but for sure there is an epidemic of uh, obesity surgery. And uh, in our country, uh, the number of uh, bariatric uh, procedure has tripled over the last uh, years, and it's, it's now 33,000 per year which is really incredible. And uh, as you know, this procedure uh, induces uh, a large weight loss and helps to maintain the weight loss over time. Here, these are the data from the Swedish subject study with about 20% weight loss after 20 years uh, in these uh, subjects compared to 1% 
in those with uh, medical uh, treatment. So, and this study has produced uh, evidence that this was associated with decreased uh, mortality. So, we have been interested in the topic of physical activity and weight loss after bariatric surgery. And uh, a few years ago, we published this review with my colleague uh, David Jacobi. So here, these are studies that have assessed physical activity before and after surgery. And here we have plotted the number of times physical activity was increased against the weight loss in a given study. So each, each uh, dot is a study. And so there seemed to be a positive association between weight loss and an increase in physical activity. Of course, it's not possible to, to know what is the cause and what is the effect. There are very, very few intervention studies in this, uh, in this field. So here are just some observations in our patients, uh, because we also uh, do some bariatric surgery with our colleagues uh, in the surgery department. And so here it's a group of uh, <coughs> about 100 subjects after the bypass, followed for 6 and 12 months. And we were able to see with a questionnaire an increase in the uh, leisure time physical activity. Number of activities performed, the duration of activity performed, no change in occupational physical activity for those who worked and a decrease in uh, time spent uh, in front of the, of the TV set. So this is only uh, observational, and now we have set up uh, an intervention study in these uh, subjects to look at uh, the changes in body composition during weight loss and uh, special types of uh, exercise uh, training. So this is a randomized uh, trial that will end hopefully uh, in a few months. So, uh, <clears throat> just to finish for the patients, uh, it's quite a long path for the patient to go from inactivity to at least moderate activity. And the very difficult question here is that it seems that for weight loss or for prevention of weight gain, there is a need of more physical activity than just health maintenance, which is really a problem for interventions and uh, public health uh, action. So now I, I want to turn to the environment and uh, some of uh, the, uh, the work on the relationship between built environment and uh, physical activity and uh, obesity. So here we are looking at uh, variables in the environment like uh, land use. So. Uh, what, what, what use is made of, of land between housing, uh, industry, retail, etc. Uh, urban density or urban sprawl, the dispersion of buildings, uh, and all the, the access to facilities such as uh, sports equipment, restaurants, and so on. So we have set up uh, really uh, strong collaborations with uh, geographers in this, uh, in this field. And I'm quite proud because uh, next to my office uh, there is a health geographer and so she's my closest colleague. Uh, and uh, I think it's really very rich to have this kind of uh, collaboration. So, uh, of course, uh, on a broad scale, what we would like to know is how uh, our uh, residential space, where we live, uh, the cities, uh, are going to impact on our health. And so this is a nice picture that was given to me by my, uh, by my colleague, showing the urban forms of different capital cities. So here you have Paris, uh, Berlin, Shanghai, London, and uh, New York. And so uh, the, the idea is to try to relate this type of data to our behaviors of interest and uh, obesity. So, uh, I just want to briefly uh, discuss a few of the methods that are uh, used here and a few of the methods that we have been uh, learning uh, in this field. Uh, I want to show you some results of a recent review that has been performed in an EU project on uh, environmental factors and obesity. 
and discuss uh, some uh, intervention studies briefly. So, for the methods, here we are not talking about measuring physical activity, we are trying to measure the environment in relation with physical activity. So, we can use the uh, databases, uh, directories, and the geographical information systems. We can do audits, like you do, I'm sure, in your field, but for us it was a bit new, and there are new ways to do these uh, audits. Uh, and we can use, of course, uh, the questionnaires and uh, interviews. So, uh, the geographical information systems, as you know, are, are both methods and, and tools to uh, assemble and analyze uh, spatial data with layers of uh, information which are geolocalized. And uh, so this is, uh, of course, uh, very important for the objective uh, assessment of uh, the characteristics uh, of interest. Now, instead of sending uh, raters or uh, to do audits uh, in the street, we can do audits uh, staying in our office using Google Earth and Google Street View. And uh, so in the framework of this EU project, the Spotlight project, we have been able to uh, perform a review of the field looking, so this is uh, just uh, published, so the, the, idea, the idea of the review is to look at the studies that have used these tools to assess characteristics of the environment in relation with uh, food or physical activity, food intake or physical activity. So uh, we, we, uh, we looked at Google Earth, so as you know Google Earth are aerial maps, whereas Google Street View are photos that are taken from cars that go into the street. So these are really different views. So this is uh, the Cathedral of Strasbourg, shown from, uh, from the aerial uh, photo, and this is the same uh, building. So there were 13 articles that were included uh, in the review. And, uh, uh, most of these articles actually uh, performed a comparison between what was obtained through these instruments, remote imaging, and, and through uh, field audit. And uh, here you can see that the concordance between the two methods was highest for those measures that can be termed as objective measures. So, land use, presence of infrastructure, especially for active transport, whether for all the other types of uh, characteristics like aesthetics, we were talking about aesthetics with Stanley, uh, uh, characteristics related to safety of the neighborhoods or characteristics li uh, linked to the social environment, the, the concordance was uh, weaker. Uh, so it shows the interest of these methods because it's uh, cost saving, it might be interesting for safety reasons, uh, but of course there are limitations. This is another instrument that uh, we have developed to try to assess uh, how subjects perceive the limits of their neighborhood. You know that one big issue here is to try to know what scale are used to use. So we can use administrative uh, scales or administratively defined neighborhoods, but usually it's uh, more interesting to work with how the subjects define themselves, their neighborhoods. And so we have, uh, my colleague Hélène Charin has designed this, uh, this tool to, uh, to uh, ask the subject to draw themselves the limits of their uh, neighborhoods, which will then be used as uh, the, the scale for the analysis. And then we have tried to uh, enter the field of more qualitative uh, studies. So this was new for us. So this was done with uh, uh, Claude Fischler in a previous uh, project uh, I coordinated. So this was just uh, asking different subjects uh, their representation of uh, the physical environment related to physical activity in their neighborhood. So this is in Paris, in the 19th arrondissement. And so uh, these are the, the examples that were important for us 
to learn about this and to think about the topic. So this was a young, urban, very active uh, person doing a lot of things in his uh, neighborhood. And this was an older person uh, having a really a schematic vision of his uh, neighborhood, especially here the park. There is a very nice park in this arrondissement, Les Buttes Chaumont. But here you have young people, so danger, and you have, <laughs> and you have syringes for uh, junkies, uh, which are uh, shown here. So this, this was interesting. This has not been yet really analyzed, but perhaps uh, this is something we could uh, discuss uh, with you. And, and now for the, for the methods, I think uh, there is a lot of, of uh, progress. There will be a lot of progress in the, in the coming years, because we know really uh, how to measure better physical activity or movement behavior, especially with the accelerometers. We can define individual patterns of activity. And this could be part of uh, all the exposures uh, of, a, of, a, of a subject during his lifetime. So within this exposome, we could define perhaps an actosome. And uh, this, of course, uh, goes in parallel with uh, better measurements of uh, the environment, so cameras, like uh, the work uh, that has been done with, by uh, Charlie Foster and his group, and of course the, the GPS. So the, the problem is not to do these measurements, the problem is more to integrate these measurements, to do something uh, and to integrate it with the other uh, types of, of measures. Uh, it's, I think the, the smartphone is, is really the, the tool of choice here, both for data collection and for counseling and uh, interventions. So if we look at the literature on the built environment and physical activity, I think there is a, a fair body of evidence uh, pointing to relationships between some characteristics of the environment and physical activity with variables such as uh, urban density, or distance to facilities, or land use again. Here you can see this was a review published a few years ago. And uh, in blue you have the, the number of papers uh, showing significant relationships between uh, built environment features and walking. And so this appears to be uh, characteristics of, uh, of importance. So I think for physical activity, there is some evidence that some of these characteristics are related with uh, walking or physical activity. For obesity, I think it's less clear. And so uh, in the Spotlight project, uh, there has been a review, a systematic review of the topic that has been performed so, uh, by uh, Jorentje Mackenbach, who is a PhD student in uh, Amsterdam. And she has worked uh, especially with uh, Harry, Harry Rutter. And so these are the, the colleagues on the, on the paper. So the, this has been submitted, but it's not published yet. So I'll show you a bit of this uh, review. I think uh, it's not because we're part of the review, but I think it's the most up-to-date review on the topic I know. So, uh, <coughs> so this was only in adults. Uh, so studies had to have weight status as the main outcome. 92 studies were included, starting in 1995 to 2013. Uh, and 45 of these were published after 2010, so it's really going at a fast uh, pace here. As you can see, most uh, of the studies were from North America and from the US. Only few studies from Europe, half from the UK but uh, very, very few studies from non-UK countries and some studies from uh, Australia and New Zealand. So only <coughs> 8 out of 92 studies were longitudinal <coughs> studies. So this is the, the chart flow. So uh, here are the environmental measures that were uh, used in the studies. So uh, um, most of the studies used objective measures of the environment. Uh, and only very, very few, 10%, use both objective and subjective measures of the environment. As you can see, most uh, of the characteristics of the environment were related to physical activity, much less uh, related to food or even to transport. Uh, but there was uh, about half of the studies which dealt with uh, variables like 
density, land use, and, and sprawl. And uh, one observation was that, uh, and it's always in this field, uh, a large heterogeneity uh, in the metrics uh, used. So these are some uh, results looking at the relationships between these uh, characteristics of the physical environment and weight status. So uh, here are some of the uh, variables that uh, came out uh, <coughs> most out of the, of the review. And here uh, the results were significant and the, in the expected direction. Here non-significant and here inconsistent. Inconsistent meaning not in the expected direction. <laughs> As you can see, half of the studies were uh, provided so-called inconsistent results. So the, the variables that come out uh, first are uh, the walkability uh, indices, urban sprawl and land use mix. So this actually was known before this review was done, but this review emphasizes that these are the variables that appear mostly related to uh, weight status. So a tentative synthesis of this is, is this, so it's only a, a proposition. When we look at environmental characteristics or built environmental characteristics in relation with uh, behaviors of interest or weight status, uh, I think it's different if we are interested in physical activity or dietary behavior. So here for physical activity, as I said, I think there is fair evidence that some of the variables of the environment are related to physical activity behavior. For weight status, it's then perhaps less clear. Uh, for uh, dietary uh, intakes, I think it's not the same. The relationships with dietary intakes, for me, are less clear, whereas some studies show uh, associations with PMI or weight status. So, uh, at least uh, a year ago, it was uh, our picture of, of, the, of the field. So there is a lot to do here uh, about measurements, but I, I talked about measurements. In the analysis, because I think we need really to go uh, further in the design uh, of the studies and in the analysis, and also to address uh, specific uh, populations and specific countries, there is a deficit in some countries uh, for these studies. So this is an example of uh, the importance of taking into account indicators of socioeconomic status in this uh, field. So this is the same study actually that uh, I showed you. It was the intervention study uh, in north, uh, in eastern France with uh, high schools. So these are the baseline data actually. And so these are 12 year 12 years old uh, uh, students and uh, this is the likelihood of uh, being overweight according to accessibility to sports equipment around their home. So you have no, no access, medium access or high access. And, uh, and subjects are uh, categorized according to the socioeconomic status of their parents. And here you have the reference uh, category, no access and uh, white color. And you can see that uh, there is an interaction with uh, uh, socioeconomic status. It's only in those who, have, who are of low socioeconomic status that <coughs> having no access to a facility equipment is associated with increased risk of uh, overweight. So uh, this, of course, is, uh, I think, important. And so when we try to define the respective weight of the uh, environmental factors versus individual factors, this has to be taken uh, into account. And another uh, uh, element that uh, needs to be taken into account, of course, is the subjective uh, aspects towards physical activity. And uh, I, I like this study coming from the States so uh, it's uh, the body mass index of a sample of about 2,000 uh, adults uh, according to uh, urban sprawl and here according to the number of uh, reported barriers to physical activity. 
And uh, as you can see, there is an interaction. And so, of course, there is a need in these studies to uh, integrate both uh, the objective measurements and the representations or the perceptions of, uh, of the behaviors uh, of interest. And so, just to finish, I want to show uh, two examples of uh, intervention studies, or I don't know if they are really intervention, but uh, changes, so, or longitudinal uh, observations. So, this is uh, from Australia, uh, the RESIDE study, uh, Billy Guy's uh, Corti. And so, uh, it's a sample of subjects uh, for whom data were collected before and after they moved. So in 2003 and 2005. And you can see it's about cycling. So a uh, majority of these subjects did not cycle, either for transport or for leisure. After uh, they moved, 6% of them took cycling for transport. 7% of them took cycling for recreation. So not big numbers, but perhaps interesting numbers in public health uh, interventions. <laughs> and you can see that uh, the, the, the factors or the, the variables that were associated with taking up cycling for transport or recreation were those that we already saw in the, uh, in the reviews. So these uh, variables really seem of importance. This one is another uh, study that comes from the States. Uh, where subjects uh, were uh, assessed, uh, measured, before and after introduction of a new rail transit line in uh, North Carolina. And so this is, uh, this is quite uh, surprising, I, th I, I, th I think. So uh, 800 subjects before and uh, about 500 afterwards. And you can see there was an association. So there was a uh, yes, there was a change, a significant change in BMI, in the odds of obesity, but not in walking or, or, or activity after uh, the introduction of the transit uh, line. So I think these are really interesting ideas for uh, future uh, studies in this, uh, in this field. So what we have learned uh, working on that is that uh, access which uh, at first sight uh, seemed uh, simple to understand is really a, a, a complex uh, construct, as you, as you may know, uh, uh, including associating uh, proximity, availability, diversity, affordability. And so uh, I think this type of, of field uh, is, is really interesting. It shows that uh, we really not need to uh, to combine uh, different disciplines to, to better uh, understand these aspects. And uh, although this does not seem very relevant for, a clinical, uh, for the clinical setting, I think it does. Because uh, subjects or residents or patients will live in a defined uh, environment. And so we need to know more about this also for uh, patients and to be able to better understand, coming back to the start, uh, physical activity and obesity at individual and environmental uh, levels.